Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. I was watching it on TV and they were going in detail about it and playing the recording of Spike kind of arguing and saying that you guys are trying to Charles Oakley me? You're going to surround me like you did Charles Oakley? I thought exactly. that was, that was too I good. I thought that was hilarious. They want someone who's big enough to play shooting guard but can also guard threes. They want someone who can play off the ball and be comfortable playing off the ball and doesn't need to necessarily run or initiate the offense. I think it's a two-man race between Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith. Russell has thrived. He's been able to get to the paint. He's been able to get out and run in transition, and he's utilized their shooters extremely well while playing off James Harden. He's realizing that he can still be himself in Houston. Welcome to the Wayne Gretzky episode of Pull Up. That's right, Wayne Gretzky, a.k.a. The Great One. Episode number 99, almost to the century mark. Back in Oregon after a long road trip where we went to Indiana, we went to another city, and finished in Orlando. Basically flew six hours, longer flight than New York to London. I always say the NBA should never allow us to finish a game in Florida and have to fly back to Portland because it's just far too long of a trip. Short-term recovery, get home at 2.30, 3 a.m., go to sleep at 3.34, wake up, have that day off, and get ready to play a game the next day. It's torture on the body, but a part of the job, so you have to get used to it and ride out. But fortunately, it's a, it's a much better flight after a win. We were able to get a win against Orlando. Mario Hazonia played extremely well. Nazir Little had a homecoming. Anthony Simons had a homecoming. We were able to play in the city or close to the city they grew up in, so that's always fun for them, especially for the first time as a rookie. Shout out to Nas. He got us some wings from one of his favorite restaurants. Uh, the wings were sensational. We had lemon pepper. We had sweet barbecue. We had honey barbecue. We had medium, along with fries. And, of course, ranch dressing. Naturally, we washed our hands first because of what's going on out in the world today with so many viruses and germs being spread as we travel from city to city. Jordan, I know you've been sick a few times this year because of travel, because of lack of sleep and everything that goes into that. How are you avoiding sickness now? Like, are you doing the 20 seconds of washing your hands? Are you sanitizing the the tray tables on the planes? Like, how are you consistently trying to avoid germs? You know what, see, I uh, it's a big deal and it's a huge issue because you never really can be too careful with it. Um, I like to bring rubbing alcohol or sanitizing wipes and I'll just wipe off like whatever seat I'm on, especially on an airplane, the seat belt, you know, um, the table at a restaurant, because any of those things, see, can be really easy to transmit diseases uh, or any type of flu 
because it's just not worth it. And uh, I try to be really diligent about it, but admittedly, um, I haven't always been. And I think with coronavirus right now, because it's so scary, it, it brings to light the fact that you need to be extremely careful with it. You know, you you obviously are not signing autographs now. How did you come to that uh, realization that it was the right move for you? And what else do you do in terms of, you know, when you're on the road traveling to ensure that you're not um, picking up diseases or any types of vi- viruses? I'm just a germ freak in general. So I try to avoid, you know, certain situations to where I'm going to be exposed to a lot more germs, obviously. Um taking other people's Sharpies, exchanging certain gifts from from fans, although we do enjoy it and we love to support our fans and we appreciate the support they give us. Uh, we have to be cautious about how we're moving around because we travel to so many different cities. We're exposed to so much. Sometimes there's lack of sleep. Um, sometimes there's just a lot of travel wear and tear. Your body breaks down. You have to be cautious about what you're exposing your body to. So, I mean, historically in Portland, we have our own Sharpies, so it's easier to sign autographs, you know, uh, post-workouts and when there's fans kind of lined up, you're able to you know bring your own Sharpies over. But when you're on the road, a lot of times fans have their own Sharpies. They're giving you Sharpies. They're giving you basketballs, jerseys, items. And just in, in light of where we're at at this point in the season, you know, 20 games left, um, I've, I've already been sick, you know, to the point where I had to miss games already once this year. I don't want to go through that again. It's just terrible. And it's not just about the coronavirus. It's just about germs in general. Obviously, flu season is always uh, <laughs> is always readily available to kind of destroy your immune system. So you just have to protect yourself. I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Uh, I'll take pictures or whatever, but I don't want to expose myself to too many too many outside germs right now because you never know what's going to happen. It's not just about the coronavirus. Like there's just other sicknesses and um, germs that can really affect you and break you down. You don't want to be exposed to it at this point. And obviously the coronavirus is something that's out there. Yeah. And also we don't know where something's coming from. You know, it could be a basketball. You might accidentally take someone else's Sharpie on the road. Who knows what it could be? It could be one small thing. Why risk it? Exactly. All it takes is someone to not wash their hands or to be sick and not even know they're sick or a kid to kind of sneeze and cough and not wash their hands. It's it's sad, but there's so many people out there who will use the bathroom and not wash their hands afterwards or just just not really sanitized properly. And it starts with flights. It starts with, you know, bathroom, door handles, all those things to where it's just uh, so much, so much that that travels from object to object. And a sneeze, like they say a sneeze can travel, what, up to six feet? <laughs> the sneeze radius alone is crazy. And it's just a matter of protecting yourself and being smart. It's not like I, I hate fans or anything like that. I'm just trying to protect my immune system because when I get sick, man, it's bad. Like I'm out. I'm in the bed. I'm not moving. And I need to be able to perform, especially with 20 games remaining in our season. So you're a, you get sick kind of lay down and basically pass out for 24 hours and not do anything like you're that guy that stays in bed man when i got i got sick this season in miami uh elise and i were both sick i drank soup the only time i left the bed was to shower and use the bathroom i was in the i was in the bed basically for like 30 hours i slept i went to bed at 8 p.m and woke up the next day at, at uh, 9 30 a.m wow like, i was exhausted Body, body was just basically quit. It was quitting me. <laughs> My body quit me. I was sweating. I was hot. I was cold. It was going back and forth. Felt like I was going to vomit. It's just a uncomfortable feeling, and I don't want to go through that if I can just kind of prevent and keep myself away from others right now at this point, and just kind of protect myself and stay out the way until um, the season basically uh, progresses. 
Man, that sounds brutal. And I know the feeling of being in bed and not being able to do anything other than just sleep. You don't want to eat. You you have no appetite. You, you just you got nothing. Your body gives out. But uh, CJ, your body has not given out of late. In fact, it has stepped up in a big way. And you go for 41 in Orlando last night, including a beautiful shake and bake on MCW. Um, take us through. Will you take us through that play specifically because that was one of the one of the better. Um, it was, it was one of the better individual moves or series of moves combinations I've seen you hit on all year. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I work on so many different combinations and counters that my instincts a lot of times just take over in the game. Uh, I work on changing direction moves and figuring out what I'm comfortable with as opposed to crossovers through the legs, behind the back, step backs. And um, when you get transition, you just try to move your defender. I just try to get my defender to open his hips up. And uh, I play at a certain pace to where I'm able to change direction quickly and and find my balance in a hurry to get a shot off. So I basically came down and I hit him with like a slow in and out behind the back um, to kind of set him up to set up my crossover. I did a hang between the legs, right to left crossover. And he did a good job of moving his feet and, and cutting me off. And I just knew that, you know, if I could get if I could get him go right to left to right, that I would be able to get a shot off. So I just went right to left. Uh, changed direction, got a little contact and, and behind the back right into the step back. That's probably the first time I've done that in the game where I go behind the back or change direction and I don't dribble again. I basically hang the dribble and step back right away. Right. Um, it, it's, a, it's a tough shot, but uh, when you get a lot of reps uh, in practice, you're very comfortable with doing anything. And uh, luckily, I was able to get him to move around a little bit. And it was a late contest, and I was able to get a clean look. It looked like you were not sure until the very end that you didn't need an extra dribble. Yeah, I was just kind of reading him. It wasn't a predetermined move. I was just trying to create space. And uh, once his hips opened up and I seen that I had enough space to get the shot off, I just stepped back and gathered myself. And a lot of times, the defender is taught to just get a contest and make it as difficult as possible and to not try to block your shot. So I shoot pretty comfortably knowing that they're not going to really try to block my shot unless they're coming from behind on a trail or pick and roll. So if the guy's in front of you, they're contesting to the side because they don't want to make any contact because it's, it's the respect of shooter. And uh, chances of me missing free throws, although I have been missing some lately, are far, far lighter than me missing a, a contested three-pointer off the dribble step back. So he did, he did the right thing. He was good defense, just better offense. So since Dame's injury, you've gone 27-41, 28-28, 35-41. How much of that is opportunity because, you know, Dame's obviously not on the floor, and then how much of it is a conscious effort to call your own number more? It's a combination of both. Uh, Dame's an extremely talented player. Um, he runs our team, all-star Hall of Famer going to get his jersey retired in Portland. So a lot of our offense is generated from him and through him. He's the point guard. He's the facilitator. He's the one that uh, takes and makes big shots down the stretch. And, you know, he's a big, big part of our offense. So when you lose that, um, you need everyone to step up, not just me. Everybody has a more opportunity to contribute and to have their numbers called. So you've seen Gary Trent has played extremely well. He was playing well before Dame's injury, but now um, he's he's being more aggressive. He's being efficient. He's being effective and getting looks and playing, you know, 30 to, to 40 minutes a night. And then for me, the ball's in my hands, like essentially the entire game. Uh, so I'm able to, you know, kind of uh, take shots when I want to in the flow of the offense while still, you know, managing and, and calling other people's numbers. 
Um, just being more aggressive, uh, understanding that we got 20-something games left. We're missing 30 points a night, and uh, I have to be efficient. I have to be aggressive and effective, and I usually turn it up this time of the year um, as we get closer to the playoffs because that's when um, it really, really matters, and that's when you're most comfortable in terms of the flow of the season. You're healthy. You have a rhythm. You're in great shape. And you're able to kind of establish continuity in terms of rotation, substitution patterns, and who you're going to be playing with each night. Yeah, not only have you ticked it up historically in the second half, but we talked about it last week. The Blazers, the last four years, about a 69% winning percentage, 71-32 and 32 going into this season or, or this post-All-Star break. And I hope for you guys that it can be the Orlando win can be the start of something positive and hopefully get Dame back soon as well. Um, a really interesting story, CJ, as a whole, has taken place with the Knicks because of obviously how dysfunctional they've been. They have a new vice president, GM, and Leon Rose, and now you start to see the issues with, with Spike Lee take place. I don't know how much you follow this, but essentially Spike Lee has been taking the same elevator to Knicks games for the last 28 years. It's a 33rd Street elevator, the employee's entrance. Um, it's very easy to use. It gives him some privacy. He goes into the game last night against the Rockets, and he's asked to leave the building and ultimately to take the 31st Street entrance. Now, granted, he's already in the building. Keep in mind. <laughs> he's, he's basically headed to his seat, okay? So if you haven't been in the garden, the fifth floor is the garden floor, right? And so you got to go. It's a massive facility. So you got to go up. You got to go up in the elevator. And so he gets up to the elevator, and they don't want it to move. And then and then he finally gets to the fifth floor, and they tell him, "We need you to exit the premises and return on Thirty First Street." Uh, CJ, he estimates he spent about ten million dollars in season uh, tickets for the Knicks. It's about three hundred grand a year, and. He was not informed of the new policy. And I love how he said, if I'm a day late on my season tickets in terms of uh, you know paying for those, they'll call me up and basically off, off the hook. But because they didn't have the stones to tell me until I got here, okay, we need you to start using 31st Street entrance, the common entrance, then uh, now he's in this position. So what was your take on this? I thought it was extremely strange. And why pick your battles? Or why pick a battle with Spike Lee? He was your only remaining loyal celebrity fan in the entire building. It's super weird to me. I was watching it on TV and they were going in detail about it and playing the recording of Spike kind of arguing and saying that uh, you guys are trying to Charles Oakley me? You're going to surround me like you did Charles Oakley? I thought that exactly. was... Exactly. That was too I good. I thought that was hilarious. But I think it's just miscommunication. Obviously, the Knicks know that Spike is a loyal fan. He's been a fan since, what, Late '90s, early 2000s, he's been there. He's dedicated. No, because he grew up in Fort Greene, so he. I think he grew up really a Nick fan. But the last three decades is when he's he's become so public about it. Yeah, basically, he's been courtside since the '90s. So they know who he is as a person and and the type of support he gives the team. I think they both could have done better. They should have notified him earlier um, that he no longer is welcome to use that entrance. I think just the the fact that they did it in person on the spot, tried to get him to leave the building. You know, made him feel threatened and made him feel um, less of a fan than he is. It probably made him feel disrespected. So they just have to do a better job of communicating um, overall on what they would like to see happen going forward. And I think Spike probably could have handled it a little bit better. 
as well. Obviously, you never want to have to leave the building. You don't want to go through that stuff, especially when you're a celebrity to the magnitude that he is in New York. You don't want to be exposed to to certain things. But I believe there is a VIP entrance uh, that that they have available to actors, actresses, professional athletes, and the list goes on and on for a lot of different celebrities they they have coming to the arena daily. So maybe going forward, they'll be able to work something out. Uh, This isn't something you want to carry over long term. The Knicks have enough problems and issues uh, to worry about. They don't need uh, to be making the news and having to release statements uh, about celebrities and their entrances when they're trying to figure out, you know, how to continue to run an NBA franchise with the draft looming in June. Man, it's just so strange being in New York. And uh, my brother-in-law was at the game last night, and I just said, you know, what what, what do you think about this, you know? Because he was also, I believe, at the Charles Oakley game. He has season tickets, and he, he just said it's just it's embarrassing. And uh, we, we, talk, we, we talked a lot about that word embarrassing, and I think it also applies to Spike. Like, I think Spike was embarrassed when, you know, as someone who's been extremely supportive – of the Knicks and the franchise, you know, despite all their issues over the last 20 years. And for him to be treated like that was was just uncalled for. Um, I love how he said, I'm done for the year. I'll, I'll come back next season, but I'm, but I'm done for the year. I did like that. Before we uh, transition too much back into basketball, I did want to know, had, had you seen... The um the memo from the league going back to uh, uh to the coronavirus because I we didn't really close the loop on that the, the memo that was sent to players CJ to avoid high fiving fans and strangers and basically to to take precaution um how was that distributed and then did you guys as a team talk about that what was the way in which you were you were informed we were informed via text and email um, first obviously they informed us when the case broke out in Lake Oswego, Oregon, um, which is pretty close to everybody that plays for the Portland Trailblazers because it's in Oregon, not far from the practice facility. And the fact that a teacher was exposed um, and was around kids, they weren't sure how many kids were potentially exposed to it. So that was kind of the red flag for me to where I was like, okay, I got to be cautious about what I'm signing and who I'm signing from because some people may have been exposed and have no idea they actually have it until the symptoms arise. Um, but our our team our team was was great about notifying us everything, giving us the rundown on coronavirus, how it's evolved, what the symptoms are, how to kind of avoid um Certain situations, certain areas, you know, be careful what you're exposing yourself to. Be sure to wash your hands, clean off the the tray tables, um, wash your hands for 20 seconds. Be aware of coughs and sneezes, not into the hands, but into the arm. And just kind of going over, you know, basically all the people that have been exposed to at their age, you know, how basically we shouldn't be too worried or alarmed about it because we're in great health. We have great immune systems, but to be cautious because it's more deadly and fatal than the flu. Although more people... Uh, attract the flu per year. I think it's, you know, 60, it's like 60, 70,000 people are, I think, die from the flu a year. It's only like 0.2% uh, fatal. So basically all the people that get it, only 0.2% die. But the coronavirus, although as many people aren't being affected, there's no cure yet. They think they won't have a cure for eight to 12 months and it's 2% fatal. So basically 2% of people that get it end up uh, passing away, but it's more so people with weak immune systems, people over 60. Um, but you just never know. You don't want to see this thing continue to evolve. And they were great in describing, you know, how we can avoid it, uh, how we can avoid certain germs. And with us traveling and 
of being exposed to so much to be cautious about where we're going, who we're around, and, and how often we're washing our hands. You know what, see, I, I, I want to make the point that I, you know, I know NBA fans are frustrated, but players are frustrated as well when it comes to the coronavirus, and guys are scared. You know, I've talked to guys, there are, there is no question of reluctance, CJ, to be among big crowds, which obviously you guys do every night. And I think I would just ask that NBA fans are are respectful of the fact that players have a job to do, which is to perform. Uh, they have to be at full strength. And, you know, it's not personal. It really isn't. And I think it's very easy to take something like this personally when someone doesn't want to sign an autograph, um, doesn't want to give you a handshake. But, but I do believe there will be a lot of benefits from – that reluctance and just being safe instead of sorry. Yeah, exactly. We all have to protect ourselves. And I think fans understand that, you know, don't take offense to the fist bump as opposed to the handshake. Um, we're in a situation where we're constantly trying to learn more about what's actually out there and how we can kind of prevent ourselves from essentially gaining an illness, not just the coronavirus, but any illness in general is, is devastating to us as basketball players because we have to be able to perform, um, in terms of running up and down the court, uh, being in shape, not not uh, working the normal job in which you can, you know, be able to sit at a desk or, or do some of those types of things. We're exposed to a different lifestyle because of the travel and everything we're going through. So you just have to be more careful, honestly. I think that's the biggest thing, uh, being more careful, um, understanding that flu season is real, you know. 18,000 people die a year, essentially, from the flu during flu season alone. So, like, all these things are important, not just about the coronavirus. It's about overall health. Also, CJ, it's for the fans, too. It's for their safety. And we don't we don't really know what this thing is yet. You know, we, we haven't – we're very, um, you know, new to this process with corona. And we, we haven't really figured out what it is. You talked about them not having a cure for – potentially a year so everybody should be taking precaution it's not just the athletes it's the fans as well here's a, here's a fun little topic see here the lakers have uh they they waived troy daniels and now they are considering um several different options the the five candidates worth going through right now five veteran candidates are Deion Waiters, J.R. Smith, Isaiah Thomas, Jamal Crawford, and Tyler Johnson. Um, who do you think is the best fit out of those and why? I think the best fit out of all of them is probably J.R. Smith. Yep. You know, looking at I agree. the history of J.R. and LeBron James, he's a veteran. He's used to playing a role. Uh, in terms of being off-ball, catch-and-shoot guy, uh, low-maintenance, doesn't need a lot of touches. I think based on who they've worked out, J.R. Smith and Deion Waiters, it's basically between those two guys. They want someone who's big enough to play shooting guard but can also guard threes. They want someone who can play off the ball and be comfortable playing off the ball and doesn't need to uh, necessarily run or initiate the offense, but someone who is capable of that. I think it's it's a two-man race between Deion Waiters and J.R. Smith. And uh, honestly, it'll just come down to who had the better interview, who's more ready to to perform a role as opposed to um, someone who, who needs to have the ball in their hands. CJ, I also like J.R. Smith for the Lakers. Uh, is he a perfect fit? No, but none of these guys are. And, you know, I never really bought into the fact that they were going to be able to coax Collison out of retirement because they obviously want a point guard for those 10, 12 minutes. LeBron won't be on the floor in the playoffs. Um, you know, they couldn't get Reggie Jackson, but J.R. Smith at least 
comes into the Lakers potentially with a relationship, a pre-existing relationship and comfort level with LeBron. He gives you some size. He can at least body up defensively. And obviously someone that has made a lot of big shots in his career. And uh, another team, CJ, that is doing some really interesting things right now is Oklahoma City. Um, they're, they're, they're actually one of the, I'd say, the biggest surprises in basketball this year. And, you know, they have three guards that they play together, CP, Schroeder, SGA, and they all provide different uh, components to the game. But this is the biggest surprise to me. They're the, the Thunder are the best team in the NBA, CJ, in net rating, plus 27.3 in undisputed clutch time situations. And so when you think about what that means, basically down the stretch of games, they are closing everyone out. They're 25 and 13 in those games, and they average 123.5 points per 100 possessions. Um, does that surprise you? Because I must say it really surprised me to find that out, that they were that good down the stretch. It surprises me that they're that good down the stretch in terms of how well they are compared to the rest of the league. Like I didn't think they would be the best in the NBA down the stretch of games. I thought they would be a good team solid team who executes, who plays well together. They got a lot of depth, a lot of good guards. Obviously, you got CP, you got Shai, Shea Gildress-Alexander, you got Schroeder, and you have good wings uh, who can defend, and you have a very versatile big um, who's able to knock down threes. He can post up smaller guards. He can play in isolation situations. He's good at just about everything. So I knew they were going to be able to compete um, I felt like they were a borderline playoff team, but I must admit CP's done more with this team than most people probably predicted. You know, having them in the running for a five seed right now. I think if the season ended today, they would be in a position to potentially play the Houston Rockets. They're like a game out of fifth um, right now, which which shows you how well they've played this season, how well they've closed out games. And it's really a credit to, to Chris Paul and the rest of the guys for uh, developing, um, continuing to get better and coming together as one. You know, it, it's it's said that Chris Paul was traded to OKC essentially to just fall off and retire there. And now he's kind of been given new life. He's been given new life. He's looked like his old self. He's gotten to his spots. He's been aggressive. He's closed out games well and is probably number one in the NBA in clutch points, which means when the game is closed down the stretch of games, um, he's producing and you know, pretty much better than anyone else. I just can't believe that they're this good down the stretch. And I'm real CJ, like I I thought they'd be competitive, but I didn't think they'd be a five seed. I'm not sure anyone wants to play them, especially Houston. Um and the fact that they've been able to get this type of production from those three guys together, basically three point guards all playing uh, at the same time. And this is, again, from ESPN Stats and Info. There's the, the, the point guard trio of SGA, CP, and Schroeder, they have played 90 minutes together in clutch, uh, 373 minutes total, 48% of the time in the fourth quarter. Um, so... They've been excellent together as a unit. My only question for them is defensively, because Schroeder and CP are smaller, um, does that create any issues against big guards, against a bigger team? Um, and remember, like you talked about Gallo, he, he's playing a lot of four and they play a lot of small ball. Now, a lot of that's covered up because... Adams is good defensively. Noel is tremendous defensively. He's been really quietly had a great year, uh, $2 million a year, incredible bargain. But because of the small guards, 
Uh, CJ, does that give any cause for concern in a playoff series, a prolonged playoff series? No, I don't think it gives cause for concern because Chris Paul is a pit bull. He's a really good defender, especially in the post. And he's able to guard, you know, guys that are much, much taller than him. And Dennis Schroeder's the type of guard who's going to pick you up full court. He's going to turn you. He's going to be aggressive. And the Thunder have been known historically for having good team defense. They funnel everything towards the paint. They overextend and help make you throw those skip passes and use Steven Adams and some of those guys to protect the paint. And Nerlens Noel's another guy who can guard in the pick and roll. He can be up at the level of the screen and put pressure uh, on on guards as they come off uh, a pick and roll situation. So I think they're in a spot where they can finish with three guard lineups. They can finish games with CP, Dennis, and, and Shea out there. They can finish lineups to where they have two of those three out there. And uh, they can also finish lineups where they either go big or they elect to put more of a versatile wing um, like like a Fer- like a Ferguson, like a Ferguson or a Gallinari, where they go four guards and Gallo at the five. See, that's the lineup I love. Now, defensively and rebounding, I don't know what. Well, especially rebounding, I don't know. You're going to lose a lot, and we know we, we've talked about the importance of rebounding. But I like that lineup a lot because Gallo at the five. Now you have tremendous versatility, quickness wise. Um, you are very small, uh, but. Just as a point of context, last stat on the Thunder. So when they go with the three guards, they go Gallo at the four and Adams at the five. That's the best lineup in the NBA net rating wise. They're plus thirty uh, per hundred in, in 159 minutes. So and most of that comes in the fourth quarter. So um, as much as I do like Gallo at the five, I think long term, if they're gonna, let's say they were gonna give Houston problems in the first round, for example, and potentially win that series. Most of that damage is going to be done still playing relatively small, uh, but Gallo at the four and Adams at the five. Yeah, I agree. I look forward to seeing, you know, potential matchups in the playoffs and how strategic teams are with substitution patterns, um, who they who they elect to finish games with and how they rotate in terms of starters playing with bench versus bench playing with starters. It's it's such a chess game once you get to the playoffs in terms of rotations and timing of everything that um, you really get to see. Um, game by game adjustments from players yeah. and staff. You talked about like when CP went to OKC, and I just I, I didn't think it was going to be a great fit. And we wondered would Miami make a push at him? And I think you know Billy Donovan's talked about it a lot. They they bought in. They absolutely bought in. And they've had you know one thing that you guys have not had, which is health. They haven't really had to deal with injuries, and that's a tremendous thing in this league when you when you have health, especially for your your core guys. Um, but it's interesting in this post-Russell Westbrook roster that Oklahoma City has been able to have this success. Uh, and that's my professional transition to one Russell Westbrook. And I wasn't sure if we'd have time to talk about him today, but I do think it's worth noting how well he's played and how much he's changed his game. Uh, I don't know how much you've you've paid, paid attention to Russ, CJ, but um, he's, uh, he's only – since January 1st, okay, he's taken two threes a game. So he's gone from six to two. He's shooting 40% from three, and he's shooting over 25 shots a game. And he's basically averaging nearly a 35-point triple-double. Um, and the last most important part is is he's getting 20 points a game in the paint. So he's really attacking. How much have you how much have you paid attention to Russ and this uh, you know, new brand of basketball that he's playing? Not that he's attacking more, he's just not taking as many threes. I've been watching. Um, I watch a lot of Houston Rockets games. Uh, they play 
an up-tempo pace. They switch everything. It's a lot of one-on-one, a lot of transition, and a lot of threes. And I think Russ has finally, you know, kind of figured out how he can fit in there in terms of when to attack and transition. He's really utilized Houston's space. You know, they basically run a, a five out where there's no one in the paint. Uh they have Covington, who's basically playing center for them in the corner, not at the dunker. And Russell's thrived. He's been able to get to the paint. He's been able to get out and run in transition. And he's utilized their shooters extremely well while playing off James Harden. Um, he's been aggressive. He's, he's realizing that he can still be himself in Houston. Um, they're known for three and D, historically uh, three and rim. And Russell is one of the players on that team who has the ultimate green light in terms of being able to shoot 15-footers. Uh, more specifically, isolations where he's able to come down in a semi-transition and back guys down and get to his spots. A lot of times, his mid-range jumpers are at an angle where he's coming down the left wing or the right wing and he's posting up. They also have an out-of-bounds play they like to use to where he's able to get a deep post catch to where some of his mid-range shots are, are taking place in the paint. He's literally shooting pull-ups from eight to nine feet. And he's inside the free throw line. It's a pain in the ass to guard is what you're saying. Yeah, because you, you're not sure what's going to happen and you have no help. Everyone has to kind of stay at home on shooters. They can't give too much help in the paint. And he's so quick and explosive and strong to where he gets one step on an angle to a drive. And he's, he's going to use his body and his explosiveness to either finish around the basket or get to his spot, back you down, turn, fade, and pull up. I just think it's really interesting that at 31, it seems like he's... He's changed his part of his DNA. You know, I mean, he for so long when we watched Russ and when you played against Russ, you knew you were going to get five, six, seven, eight, you know, FU shots a game where it was like he, he put up with it because he was so good. But he's not taking those shots now. And those possessions, five, six, seven, eight possessions a game of hit, getting a bad rush shot that let's say he'll, he might make, but he probably won't. It's like 25% to a, a much better Russell shot or maybe a corner Covington three or a kick and uh, a driving kick, those possessions are now much more measured in quality. And I just wonder how much further that can take Houston. I think if Houston can continue to be efficient and have a, an efficient Russell Westbrook out there to where he's getting to his spots, he's shooting over 50 from the field. He's, he's generating a, a high volume, high frequency of, of trips to their free throw line. The sky is the limit for them. They basically play off of James Harden and Russell Westbrook. So they thrive off of that aggression, their efficiency, their consistency. The more consistent and efficient they are, the better their team is because then the defense has to kind of load up and respect that. They have to give James Harden extra attention, potentially maybe double James Harden. And that allows Russell Westbrook to have one-on-one and sometimes have numbers to where he's driving and the weak side is wide open. There's a P.J. Tucker in the corner or a Covington in the corner or Eric Gordon or Ben McLemore who's shooting the ball extremely well or an Austin Rivers who's playing extremely well for the Rockets and um, has been aggressive and has kind of settled into a role there for them. Yeah, he has. Uh, That whole... That team is just so int- it's such an interesting team to watch. I don't know if it's always the most fun, but they're it's it's in some ways it's it's more captivating because they're doing things that we've never seen before. And to steal one more stat from uh, the Bill Simmons pod, which really did a nice deep dive on Russbrook. Um, the only two players in the last twenty years, CJ, my guy Rosillo had this stat to take twenty five plus shots a game for an entire season. So granted, Russ has only done it for two months, but for an entire season are Kobe and Allen Iverson. And uh, that gives you an idea of, of what he's doing and, and how he's doing it and how rare it is. I like that stat. 
Um, that's two elite players who play with chips on their shoulders, who are aggressive. It fits within the same DNA of elite players who are fearless and don't care about public perception. Russ is a guy who's going to be aggressive. He's going to be unapologetically himself. And regardless of how well he's playing or how great he's playing, he always has the utmost confidence in his ability. And that includes the shooting ability. Although he's not a great shooter, he's going to constantly and consistently go out there and shoot mid-range jumpers, occasionally shoot threes, and attack the basket. So I'm not surprised that that list is so small because, for one, you have to be extremely talented to generate mm-hmm. 25 shots. Yes. For two, you have to have the ultimate green light. Not everyone is is willing and able, and not everyone is allowed uh, to take those types of aggressive looks. And Russell Westbrook, although he's only done it for two months, he's he's a type of player who could do that for a season if he wanted to. But I don't think he's in he's in the, the mindset of trying to do that. He's just trying to win games and be aggressive. For those listening out there, I can't express to you how hard it is to take 25 shots in an NBA game consistently. I mean, that's an asinine number of shots. And you're right. You have to be extremely talented. You have to have the ultimate green light. And in this case, you have to have a teammate in James Harden who's willing to defer a little bit more than he's used to. That's the other thing. You, your, your team has to get along and your star players have to get along and have an understanding of give versus take. Sometimes it's going to be your night. Sometimes you have to share the sugar and kind of take a step back. And I think they've figured out that balance of when to shoot versus when to pass. And look at the game against the Knicks the other night. Uh, James Harden... Uh, wasn't in position to get the ball down the stretch, and Russell Westbrook took the game winner and missed it as time expired. Yeah, I like that. I like, but, but that's what you're going to miss game winners, and you have to live with it, knowing that you got a great look or you got a good look. And that was a bad loss, ironically, last night in the Garden, uh, in the midst of the Spike Lee uh, drama. But um, I, I'm just, yeah, Houston's a really interesting team, and uh, you know, he's he's taken. Russ is getting 20 points a game in the paint I mentioned since January 1st. He's the only guard to be doing that. I mean, the other guys are Zion, Aiton, Harrell. It's bigs, you know? It's bigs who live in the paint. And so um, keep an eye on it, everyone. Keep an eye on Russell Westbrook and the Thunder. I'm not saying they're going to win a series or two series, but they are not a team, I guarantee you, that very many teams want to play. Before we go, we have to discuss this. Bradley Bill. Yes. He broke a 58-year franchise record as the Wizards beat the Warriors Sunday. He scored 34 points on 7-9 from three-point range, 18 straight games with at least 25 points. He broke a tie with Walt Bellamy for longest streak in franchise history. Bradley Bill has been on a terror since they since they haven't named him. Since they didn't name him an all-star, he's been killing. Yes. Multiple 50-point games, multiple 40-point games. He's really playing pissed off. Yeah, CJ, I, I was really disappointed that Bradley Beal didn't get the all-star nod, but I think, you know, he's had a great year and he's, you know, he's only the sixth player in NBA history to go 50 plus in consecutive games. And if you really watch the Wizards and you talk to anybody around the league, they'll tell you that it's it's really he's the only guy you're trying to stop. I mean, Kenny Atkinson has been vocal about you know, anybody but Bradley Beal beating us, and he still goes off on Brooklyn. Um, he had 22 points in the first quarter against the Warriors, and they were sending doubles at him. They were trying to ice ball screens. It didn't matter. I, I spoke with Mark Bartlestein, CJ, uh, Bradley Beal's agent, after Beal didn't get the all-star nod, and they were obviously tremendously disappointed because, to your point, he's doing things we really haven't seen in 60 years. But he's only 26 years old. The future is very bright for him, and, to your point, you know, they have John Wall, they have Beal. 
I like Hachimura out of Gonzaga. Thomas Bryant is a really good young big out of Indiana. So, you know, Washington, if they can add a couple pieces around those guys, suddenly the Wizards could be looking at a playoff bid next season. But CJ, Bradley Beal, toughest covers in the league. He's up there, right? Top five, top six, top seven? Oh, yeah, he's definitely up there. He can score with the ball, without the ball, one-on-one situations, uh, isolation situations in transition. He can shoot the three off the dribble. Uh, he's an elite player. Look forward to playing against him um, uh, this weekend. Um, wish him nothing but the best of success going forward. Uh, when John Wall comes back, they're going to be very good. Yeah, Washington's interesting long-term. You know, they're not a team anybody's talking about because they've had a rough year. But uh, if Beal and Wall are, are healthy together, offensively, they will be lethal. And they just got to guard some people. But interesting team. Absolutely. I wish everybody nothing but health, wealth, and success. Everyone remember to wash your hands for at least 20 seconds. Wash those hands. Fist pounds, not open hands. Half hugs, whatever you need to do to stay safe out there. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up. <laughs>